That was a great song to end with as we go into our time of looking at God's Word, how great is our God, and today I hope we'll see that. It's an interesting day today, and uh, it's interesting for a lot of reasons. Um, Obviously, once again, a great opportunity for me to be before you to uh, explore the Word of God with you, and it's a great opportunity, a great blessing. I'm so happy and excited to be here. And yet also, it always carries a little bit of a weight with it. Like, I want to make sure that as we walk out today that we are truly changed by the Word of God. And I pray, and as we just prayed, that that would happen. It's also an interesting day today because as has been mentioned, this is the 15th anniversary of 9-11. It's interesting, as I work with teenagers and college students, I'm always surprised that a lot of them don't remember it. You know, and I was 16 at the time, and I remember it very very clearly, and I remember it was in my AP history class, it was very appropriate, because as we were studying history, the TVs came on, and we were able to, honestly, what I didn't realize at the time was experience firsthand history in the making, a history in the making that we wish would never have happened, and yet history all the same. So we remember that today, and we'll talk about that for a few minutes this morning, and also today, on a lighter note, is the opening Sunday of football, which is always exciting. So, um... (laughs) It's a weird day, all right, there's lots of things coming together today, Um, but as we do, I'm going to draw some illustrations from what's going on, Uh, but I I do just want to ask you today that you do one thing, and that is to really be open to what God would have for you to hear, that you would listen to him, listen to his word, not check out and think about what your team's going to do today, we all know the bills are going to win, you don't need to worry about it anymore, um... (laughs) Don't worry about what's going on, and, and honestly, you know, as we even consider all the other things that are going on in our country, can we just take a place now where we can look at God's Word and understand what He has to say? And that's what I'm hoping we'll do today. But as I said, it is the anniversary of 9-11, and we'll talk about that for a minute. Um, anybody, there's a few slogans that came out as a, as a result of 9-11, when the, when the trade centers were, uh, were ran into and then they fell... There was weeks of time after 9-11 where America was coming together and there was several phrases that were being used and we will always remember, we will not forget was one. But the bigger one that seemed to come out really big, time and time again you saw everywhere all around our country the slogan of united we stand. You know, united we stand in the face of terrorism, united we stand uh, in the face of our fallen ones. You know, you see things with uh, the, the fire department, the police, the policemen, the people who died in those towers, and you saw people running to blood banks to give blood, and you saw people coming together of all different backgrounds and even praying, and, and, and you know, some of them may have not been praying to our God, but at least you saw everybody coming together, and there was this idea of being united, that we were all one. United we stand against the tyranny that we saw happen. You see, truly the country came together, and I don't know how long that lasted. It lasted for a while. Anytime there's a big tragedy, you will see people bind together, and that's what we saw our country do. Time and time again, people were united in purpose and united uh, going forward. And it was an interesting time of our country's history. There's been a few other times where we've seen that happen, but that's probably one of the most recent. You see, what we saw was very interesting because we saw people of different backgrounds and different and all sorts of differences. Uh, we saw people maybe who were of different uh, different ethnicities. Uh, we saw people uh, that were maybe different in their um, in their backgrounds in other ways, like maybe religion, even uh, sexuality, economic standing, our political views: Democrat, Republican, Independent, anything in between. We saw all different people with all sorts of different outlooks on life, put those behind for a short time in order to unite against a common enemy. We saw, we saw unity that we hadn't seen in a very long time, and honestly, we haven't seen since. Actually, it's kind of sad today as we think about this idea of being united after 9-11, where our country was, where our country was at that point, united together to fight terrorism, united together to support those who had been lost, And yet fast forward 15 years and where are we today? You can't turn on the news without hearing some other bickering going on between political candidates or between different uh, political activism. You know, you've got everything from uh, uh, race tension 
to sexuality debates. There's just so much going on. And I'm not saying there's not a time to stand for what's right in those things, but what we do see is there is a great division, right? I mean, politically is the most obvious one. We see this huge division going through our country, and whereas once it was united, we stand, now there's really no other way to say it other than we're divided. And if you know the end of that phrase of united we stand, it's divided we fall, and I'm afraid we are going that direction. With all that being said, that's not what the sermon's about today. I could preach today about our country and I could talk about it, but, Lord, but today I want us to look at something a little different. I want us to actually use what we've learned from 9-11 in our country. This idea of being united together. Everybody of all different backgrounds were all united because we all realized one very basic thing. That even though we're different, even though we have different viewpoints, even though we're from different places, we are all Americans. And that was what it came out. We were united as one because even though we had differences, even though we didn't see things eye to eye on everything, we were still citizens of the United States of America. And so we came together to unite. But yet, unfortunately, as I've said, I think today we see this unity is all but forgotten. It's all but forgotten as we see people time and time again fighting for themselves fighting for their own interest, fighting for what is most important to them, and not considering what it means to be a part of the greater group of the country. And so we see that as a, as a real problem as we face the future. We don't know where things are going. But it's interesting remembering 15 years ago where we were and now seeing where we are now. But unfortunately, and this is where I want to transition us to, and knowing all that about 9-11 and knowing about this united we stand phrase that was used time and time again and now has just been discarded, I want to shift our focus now to the unity that we as Christians are called to have. It's a great illustration, really, what we just talked about of the Christian church, because you'll see that when the Christian church started in Acts, they were united. I mean, they were so united. If you've taken our membership class and you've read Acts, you know what was happening. They were getting together, and they were actually selling all of their stuff they were putting all the money together. They were, in a, they, were, they were putting everything together. What one person had, everybody had. They were sharing everything. Now, before you start thinking I'm going communist on you, that is not the case here. Okay, so don't take me saying that. But where the church started, we saw them sharing everything. They were one in everything. Everything was theirs. It was like a marriage. When you get married, and even today that doesn't happen so often, but you know, every, what, what's hers is mine and what's mine is hers. And, but that was happening in the church. What's yours is mine and mine is yours. And this was the community that they had put together. And there was complete and utter unity. And it was a result of Jesus had just recently uh, died, re- resurrected. There was a resurgence. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. And we see the early church starting. And obviously that's a whole lot more than 15 years. But I think now we fast forward to where we are today. Where are we at today as believers in Jesus Christ when it comes to unity? And I would say that we've all too quickly forgotten what we should be unified for. That we have already forgotten. We have quickly forgotten in the grand scheme of time how to truly be one with one another and to truly unite with one another. And I think it's a big problem that's facing our churches today. When I say the church, I'm referring to the church as a whole as we look around our country and and, and parts of the world as well. But some of these things we're going to talk about today, I believe, do apply to our church if we take some time to really think about it. So the fact of the matter is that Christ has unified us with himself. He's unified us all together with him. And yet we tend to forget that, and we tend to live for our interests, our hopes, our beliefs, our, our dreams, and we are so individualistic. That's part of our culture, it's part of humanity, is wanting to care about number one, caring about me and myself and my needs and what I want, and yet that is not unity, and that's what we're going to look at today. So that's going to bring us to our text that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at some texts that are going to talk about our unity in Christ and we're going to look at what, uh, what our unity is, how we have it, and then how that is lived out. So how we as Christians need to be one and be unified, and also how that is lived out. So as you look at your outline, you'll see that our main point for today, if you're going to walk away with any main point, I want you to remember this. And that is that we are united, let's live like it. We are united, let's live like it. And that word are is going to be very critical as we continue looking through uh, our passages today. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to turn with me or look at the screen as we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is, a, this is the passage that comes right before the 
the very familiar and very popular love chapter of 1 Corinthians. The part we're going to look at is directly following where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and uh, the ways that God has gifted different people to minister. And then we find in the midst of all of this, talking about love and talking about serving and ministry, we, we start looking at verse 12 and we see that Paul takes some time to talk about unity. And I want to take some time to look at what we see here in the book of 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Read along with me. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it not therefore part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleases. So if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather these... Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body that we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. For God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, but there, that, that there should be no schism in the body, and that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all other members suffer with it, and if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And that's where we're going to stop today because he then continues to talk about spiritual gifts. But I want to break this apart in a couple different pieces. Uh, the first thing here we see in verse 12, verse 14, and verse 27. We see in those three verses there are a common theme that we see coming out in chapter 12. Starting right off in verse 12, we see, For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body, being many, are one body, Okay, that's pretty clear. We also see it in verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then we see in verse 27, at the end of what we read, we see it saying, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The truth we see in these passages is that we are united through our position. We are united through our position. And what do, you, what do I mean by that? Well, let's take a minute to look at that. You see, we are all different, but... As we're told in 1 Corinthians, we are one body. Now this is a key distinction. This passage is not saying become one body. It's not telling Christians to work towards becoming one body, right? Actually what Paul says is, no, you're already there. You are already the body of Christ. So you are the body of Christ. That's our position. Our position is we're already united. This is interesting because a lot of times we think of unity as I need to work towards unity. Well, part, that's partially true, and we'll look at that as we continue on. But in a Christian sense, more than just that we're working towards unity with one another, we already are united. If, we know Jesus, if you know Jesus and I know Jesus, then we are united. We are together. We are one. There is no question about that. And so maybe I would do a bad job of showing that, but the truth of the matter is we still are united. And that's, what, that's the whole point of our position is the thing that it shows us our unification. You see, we don't become the body, we are already the body. That's the whole point. And so this idea here that we see that we are together, we are unified. Now, uh, interesting, uh, I want to make a little bit of an analogy here as we go on. As it is the opening day of football, I, I like to think about sports in a lot of ways. And I know Paul uses the analogy of a body, and I think that's great, but also I think you can make the same analogy of a team. You know, as we look at this idea of being one body, Football season is here, as I said, and the idea of one body does remind me of a team. If you remember, if you think about what this passage is saying, it's saying, as it goes through, it's talking about, hey, look, everybody's different. Everybody's got different roles, everybody's a different part of the body, and yet everybody is still the body. Well, on a team, the same thing is true. You see, a team is made up of many different players, of different talents, 
different skill levels, different positions, different specialties. A team is made up of people that have gone to different, different, different colleges, have had different types of training. They've been even from different parts of the country. And yet a professional team, when it comes together, there's one thing that they have to realize before they can play a game. And that is that even though they're all different, they all play together as one team. Right? If a team doesn't play together and everybody's doing their own thing, then they'll lose every time. There's no question about it. It doesn't matter how talented they are. It doesn't matter how much uh, training they've had. If they don't work together, they're going to lose in any team sport, whether it's football or soccer or whatever you want to talk about. The thing is here, and so, but Paul is talking about the body, and the team aspect is the same idea. It, everybody's different, and yet everybody is still one. It's, it's a clear thing throughout Scripture that we are part of the body. We are different, but we are one. And since we are one, we should live like it. And that's the point. We have a position of unity. Well, where does that position come from? Verse 13. Verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Now, a couple months ago, Dakota preached when he was here on internship, and he talked about the idea of baptism. Remember, if you were with us, you remember what he preached on. And he said, when we are baptized into Christ, or really, literally, when we are immersed into Christ, we become one with him, and he becomes one with us. We have union with him. Really, we are in unity with Jesus. And we have that union with him as he has died for us. Now we've died to sin and we are united to him as we are immersed in him through baptism. Now the baptism that's talked there is immersion. Remember, that's what the word means. So as we are immersed into Jesus, or in this case, as we are immersed into the spirit, we are becoming one and we have unity with Jesus. And here's the simple truth. If I have unity with Jesus, if I have been immersed in Christ, if he is my identity and if he is united with me, and you have accepted Christ, and you are unified with him, and you have been united with him, and you are in union with Christ, and he is in you, then therefore we are one as well. Does that make sense? Because if we're both in Christ, we're both with each other as well. It's not like one of us is in one Christ and one is in another Christ. There is one Christ, right? So we are, if we are unified with Jesus, we are unified with each other. There's no question about it. So if we've accepted Christ, when we've immersed ourselves into him, we are not only one with him, but we are one with each other. Now, if you take that truth and truly think about it, it'll change everything and how we relate to one another because we are one. We are one. We are the same. We are the same. We are not different. We are different in many ways, but we are one in Christ. And that can really change the way we view each other and the way we treat each other. I want you to think about that for a while. And part of that then goes into this next part that uh, 1 Corinthians talks about. I'm not going to read all the verses again, but verses 15 through 25, there's a lot of words here. It talks about the body analogy and talks about uh, there's some parts of the body uh, that can't say, hey, I'm not, I'm not an important part of the body. You know, I'm not an eye, so I don't even really need to be here. Okay, and then goes on and he talks about the other, the other side of things. And that is, I'm the eye, I don't need anybody else. All we need is eyes. Okay, and that doesn't make sense either. And, and that's what Paul starts talking about as he goes through here. You see, there's two things that are very clear here. And that is, no one is unworthy of our care, our time, or our concern. If you look at verse 25, after it talks about all these things, about every body part is important, even the ones that seem dishonorable are important, that's what God is telling us. Then it says that there should be no schism in the body, and that all the members should have the same care for one another. So at 20, verse 25, he takes this whole passage where he's talking about the idea that there's no, none that are more important or less important than each other. And then he says, look, that means you should care for one another. In other words, you are just as important as I am to this body. And people over here are just as important as the people over there. Individual, individually, we are just as important to the body. Now, we may be used in different ways. And maybe depending on life situation, we might be seen to be used as less or more than others. But the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us is equal in the body. Because we are all one, remember. We are all one body, we are all one together, and therefore we are all equal. So no one is unworthy of our care, time, or concern. There's nobody that's not important enough to worry about. Like, okay, well, there's so-and-so over there, and you know, I know they're at the church, but eh, they're not that important, I'm not going to care about them. Okay, nobody says that, by the way, but a lot of people might think that. You might not even realize you're thinking it, but sometimes we do. We're all human. I've done it too. Or there's the other side of things. No one deserves greater care, time, or concern. Well, that person, well, he's a pastor, or he's an elder, or he's a deacon. Well, whew, 
I really got to care about him even more than everybody else because they're the big time, right? No, that's not, that's not what's being taught here. Even though everybody has different roles, we're all equal. There's nobody here that you can look at and say, well, they deserve my care more than that person. We all equally deserve each other's care and concern and time. And that doesn't always happen in unity. But we need, if we are truly un- united with one another, then we won't... It's about favoritism, right? Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have friends. There's some people in this church you're really good friends with and some people in the church that maybe you're not great friends with. I'm not saying you have to have an equal relationship with everybody that you... Because obviously everybody has differences. But when it comes to your time and your care and your concern for one another, if there's partiality, there's a problem. And you need to really consider whether that is in you and I have to consider if it's in me, we have to consider if there is partiality in the way we treat others. Because according to 1 Corinthians, we are all one body, we are all equal, and we all deserve care, concern, and time. And finally, verse 26. This kind of just sums up what we talked about just a little bit. But it says, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Simple truth here. Think about the body. If you've ever had an injury, you know it doesn't just affect just the part that you get hurt. Okay? If you break something or hurt something, your whole body feels it for a very long time. You break your nose, your eyes become black and blue. Right? I mean, it's, it's how things work. Your body, when it gets hurt, the whole body gets hurt. Now, also, when, the whole body, when something in the body does really well, the whole body rejoices with it. But that's how we look at this passage. It's the same thing in our Christian body in our Christian team, if you will. In the team analogy, if somebody does really well in a team sport, it's always, we always rally and cheer for that person that gives the, the credit to his teammates, not just himself, right? And the same thing is here as we talk about the body, um, we understand that what is true of each other is true of us. So what it, whereas we learned the, from the sermon with Dakota that what is true of Christ is true of us, it's also what is true of you is true of me. What is true of me is true of you. If I'm hurting, I hope you're hurting with me. If I'm rejoicing, I hope you're rejoicing with me, and vice versa. And uh, as we come to the conclusion of this sermon, we'll ask ourselves some questions when it revolves around that. Um, but the question we need to ask is this. Do we really feel each other's pain and or triumph? When somebody is in pain, do we really feel that? Do we really call out to them? Do we really come to them in unity and, and, and care for them? Or if somebody had a good thing happen in their life, are, they, are we there to congratulate? Are we there to help them? Are we there to support them through that good time as well? Or the opposite of this is, do we gloat or get jealous? So if something bad happens to somebody, and you can't tell me some of you haven't done this before, oh man, well, you know, they kind of deserved it, right? I mean, well, you know, that's, yeah, when, when you do that, that's what's going to happen. Or if you feel deep down inside, well... You know, I know they failed there, and I know they're hurting, but you know what? Um, at least it wasn't me, right? We've, we've all been there at times. Maybe not all of us. Maybe I'm just a terrible person, but we've all been there at times. <laughs> or do we get jealous? Something good happens for somebody, and we should be excited for them, but instead, deep down inside, we're like, why can't that be me? Why can't I have that? Why can't good happen to me like that? And it happens, right? Because we're human. But let's fight against that and let's ask God to help us to rejoice with each other and to uh, mourn with each other uh, here as we look at this passage um, that we would suffer with one another and also honor one another. And that is a true statement from Scripture. As one, we are united. We are one with each other. Let's live like it. So we are united in our position, the fact that we already are the body of Christ, but we are also united for a purpose. We are united for a purpose. Uh, as we turn the page into Ephesians, is where we're going to be. We're going to just a few books over Ephesians chapter. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, Ephesians chapter four. We're going to start in verse one. Ephesians four one. We're going to look at this next thing that we are united for a purpose. So we are united by our position, but we are always also united because we have the same purpose. Um, simply, as we are continuing to talk about this team thing. Like, the purpose of a team, there's one purpose a team has, I hope, and that's to win, right? They want to win the game, and, and they all have that same purpose. If you've got half the team that says, I'd really like to lose today, then you're going to lose, right? I mean, I mean, we've actually seen that happen sometimes where there's been conspiracy theories, at least, where people will actually throw games in order to get money or because they bet money or somebody else bet money, and those make us very angry because the idea of a team is we're all here to win, right? And, and as the body of Christ, we all have a purpose. But what is that purpose? Well, let's take a minute to look at that. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I want to just break this down in pieces here. 1 through 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling by which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What are we called to do? What is our purpose? Well, we are called to walk worthy. We are called to walk worthy in our calling. See, before all of this in Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians basically outlines the gospel. It outlines what Christ has done for us and our position in Christ. And it tells us that we've been chosen from the foundation of the earth and goes through and talks about our relationship with God and how that looks and what he has done for us and how we have responded to that call. And then we see this word, therefore. And yes, of course, as you've heard many times, therefore is always there for a reason, right? So this therefore that we see is in response to all that Paul said in Ephesians, the gospel that we've been saved, that we have, been, we have identity with Christ. And so what then he goes on and says, that you need to work, walk worthy of the calling which you've received. Walk worthy of the gospel. So we, our purpose as a body is to walk worthy of the gospel. We are called to walk with love in unity. Because then it goes on and talks about love. So we walk worthy of the calling, but then what does it say? How does that work out? Well, our calling, we walk worthy of our calling in lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. So we see here, if we're going to walk worthy in our calling of the gospel, what that looks like is we are called to walk with love in unity. That is the calling that we have placed upon ourselves, that God has placed upon us when we come to know him and we join the body of Christ, we now have a calling that is to love one another, to bear with one another, to be gentle with one another, to be humble with one another, to be patient with one another. And then it goes on in verse 3, this idea of unity, and it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Once again, this is an interesting word here, keep, right? It doesn't say achieve. It doesn't say you need to go and become unified. It says, no, keep the unity. Because once again, what we just looked at, we already are united. We have the position of being united with one another and therefore keep that by being peaceful. So our love and our peace is what we're called to do. To be worthy of God's calling in our lives is to love one another unconditionally. And the doctrine of Ephesians that we've seen in the first three chapters leads us to walk in unity. We walk in love and we walk in unity together. That is our calling. You see, this is very interesting as you look at this passage. Our calling isn't just to live for ourselves as Christians, which so many of us do. Our calling is to live for one another. That's really what this passage is saying. That is our calling. The gospel should not only save you and cause you to have hope in Christ, but it should also bring us together as we live for one another. And that's verse 3 through 6 as we continue to talk about this keeping of the unity. And we don't want to interfere keeping the unity by having a lack of peace. Verses 3 through 6, I know we already read 3. But endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So here we're once again reminded of our unity, right? I got ahead of myself a little bit. So uh, we are called to keep unity. It's already there. We just need to make sure that we're not interfering with it by a lack of peace. So it's already there because of why? Well, because we're one body. It says this again in Ephesians. We're one body. We're of one spirit. We are called in one hope. We have one Lord, we have one faith, we have one baptism, we have one God, and this God is above all and through us all and in you all. See, once again, our unity with God equals our unity with one another. It's important we understand that concept. So we need to keep that unity that we've already received through our relationship with Christ. And then we see through verses 7 through 16, if we read those real quickly, in verses 7 through 16... But each one of us is grace that was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended for above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What then should we... that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working on which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love." Wow, there's a lot there, so let's take a minute to unpack it. <clears throat> we are called to serve others with our gifts. That is the clear thing we see here in Ephesians chapter 4. We are called to serve others with our gifts. And we can also see that in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. Those are some other places that gifting is talked about. And we are asked that we serve one another with our gifts. That the things that God has given to us to be able to do... To minister to others, we are called to serve others doing it. That is exactly what we're asked to do. But why are these things done? Well, we serve others with our gifts. A, to edify the body. What does edify mean? To build it up and to see others succeed. So our gifting is not for our good, right? So it's not to make us look good. We don't come up here and, and do things like we're not playing music if you're on the worship team or I'm not preaching or whatever it might be for our good, to make ourselves look good, at least we shouldn't be, we're doing it so that others will be benefited, so that we will serve others. Others will be built up and others will succeed. We see that in verses 12 and 16 here in this passage. And we see in verse 12, it's talking about, uh, it talks about the, the fact that prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers have been called. But then it says, what for? Uh, for the work to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So you're doing ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this is to build up others. That's the whole point. Um, but not only is it to edify the body, but in verse 13 we also see that we serve one another in order to unify the body. Now you say, well, that's weird. Didn't you say we're already unified? Well, yes, that is very true. But yet, even when we are something, that doesn't mean we live it out all the time, right? I mean... Uh, we, we may be good at something, that doesn't mean we always do it well all the time. And the same thing is we are unified, but that doesn't mean that we always live like we should. Okay, We still make mistakes, we're still human. So in verse 13, uh, as we look at Romans, or Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, this is what we read. And it says, "...till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." In other words, we serve each other to continue furthering our unity to continue to build up our unity so as we serve each other as i put myself behind and serve you and as you put yourself behind and serve me as we serve one another doesn't it just make sense that that's going to unify us right it's going to practically unify us whereas we've already been positionally unified now we can practically be unified by serving one another so it is to edify others it's to unify the body and finally it's to mature the body Verses 14 through 16, I already read those verses. The idea is, is when we serve one another, that we build each other up to maturity. Maturity in Christ, that we know him better, that we love him more, that we live for him better, that we are, are acknowledging together that we can build each other up so that we can mature, not be children anymore, as he says, tossed around by different doctrines, that we will know what we believe, we'll know who we believe in, and that we'll live for him better and better and better. That is maturity. It's maturing in our faith in Christ. And that is not something that we do on our own. This is, I think, a big myth that has come into churches today, and it's, big, it's, it's, it's missing out. People think that they can become mature in Christ all on their own. Now, I'm not saying if you read Scripture and if you pray and you, do, and you read books and you watch even sermons on, on TV, that those things aren't going to help you to grow because they will somewhat. But I'll tell you this, and I say this every time we do a membership class. If you truly want to grow, if you truly want to mature in your faith in Christ, then be with other people. Be with other Christians. Serve other Christians. That is truly how you grow. That is how you grow into your maturity, is when you serve and you're serving others mutually, we can both mature in our faith with Christ. So don't just depend upon yourself. I mean, do personal devotions. Absolutely. That's important. But don't neglect the unity that you have with us. 
Don't neglect one another because that is where you will grow in maturity. So we see that we, we serve for those reasons, to edify, to unify, and to mature. I want to take a quick, uh, just a quick sidetrack away from Ephesians here because I want to look at John 17 really quickly to sum all of this up. John chapter 17. And some of you already know when I mentioned John 17, this is the prayer of our Lord Jesus for us. John 17. Jesus, when he was on the earth, prayed for us and is recorded for us. And it's interesting that the Son of God is praying to the Father God, and this is what he's going to be praying for us in chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. And Jesus is praying, and he just got done praying for his disciples that he's been following, that have been following him. And this is what he says in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, and they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire... Um, actually, no, I guess I can stop there. Yep. As we look at those passages, as we see this passage, we see something else that I want to draw out because what we've talked about so far is we've talked about serving one another and it's good for you and it's good for me for us to serve one another. But when we talk about unity, what is it truly, what is the purpose? Our purpose is, yes, to serve one another, it's to love one another, it's to work with one another, but also, ultimately, it is to show Christ to others. It is, we glorify God in our unity. We, as we are edified, unified, and matured together, we are showing God to the world around us. As we live in our unity, as we live as one we are glorifying God and showing him to the people around us. This is our purpose. Our purpose is to serve each other, to grow each other, but it's more than that. It's to serve each other, to be unified, to grow together, to give God glory. And if you're not participating, if we are not participating with one another in serving, and we're not united by this purpose of serving one another, then we are not giving the glory to God that he, he deserves. So remember that as we serve each other, as we looked at Ephesians, it's all for the glory of God. And Jesus prayed that we be one, right? He prayed for our unity. That's what Jesus prayed for. Before he left this earth, he wanted us to know what he prayed for us. And he didn't pray for us to um, do amazing things. Okay? He didn't pray for us to uh, change the world in a sense, although he did. But how are we going to change the world is through unity. Jesus chooses to pray for us and he prays that we will be unified. It was important to him and it should be important to us so that we can glorify him in the way we serve. Let's move on to the third thing we are united in. We are united in our position. We are united for a purpose. We are also united in our practice. Uh, what does this mean? Well, it means we do what we are, right? We, our practice is what we do. So we've already talked about that we are unified, okay? And we have a purpose, and that purpose is to serve and to glorify God. And so then if we, have, we, are, we are united and we are serving, then we need to actually do something about it. That's the whole point. It's kind of like a team, going back to the team analogy. All right? A coach can draw up a great game plan, right? And the, the team can be all about it. They can have the chalkboard all written out and the team is ready to go. And then they get out to the field and they decide just to stand there and do nothing. It's not going to do anything. They're going to lose. The greatest game plan doesn't matter if you don't execute the game plan. Well, the same truth is, is here in, in Scripture as we look at what God wants for us as unity. If, just because we know we're unified and just because we know we're supposed to serve each other and just because we know we're supposed to give glory to God, it doesn't mean anything if we don't actually put legs to it, if we don't actually do it, if we don't put the game plan into practice. And that's what we need to do. So as we turn from Ephesians over to Philippians chapter 2, this is another classic passage on unity that I want to draw out. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 and then verse 14 as well. Philippians chapter 2, we see what this is supposed to look like. What does unity look like? What does serving one another in love look like? Well, this is what it looks like according to Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 
Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Then we skip a few verses and come down to 14, and I think this is in the flow here. It says, Do all things without complaining or disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So we see here some concepts from Philippians of how we practice our unity, how we live out our unity, how it's supposed to look, what it's supposed to look like. The first thing we see in verse 2 is that we must be like-minded. We must be like-minded and think alike, okay? But wait, let's stop right here. This does not mean that we always have to agree on every single thing, whether it's something trivial or even something somewhat important. As long as we agree on the main points, the main, that Jesus is God, Jesus is the only way to salvation, and there's some foundational truths there that we can't go away from. It's not that we never disagree with each other on anything. It's not like we don't disagree whether we're going to put green or blue carpet down. It's not about that, okay? There may be some disagreements, but being of one mind uh, is that we all have the same attitude. That's really what this is talking about. It's not always making the same decisions. It's about having the same attitude, well, what is that attitude that we are to have? Okay, we have to have the same purpose and the same attitude. Well, that moves into our second point here. We must be selfless and humble, verses 3 and 4. You see, a lot of times I've heard sermons and questions about what does it mean to be like-minded? What does it mean to be of the same mind? Does that mean we agree on everything? Does that mean that we never have a discussion? Does that mean we never have an argument? And I would say that although those things can be true sometimes, we shouldn't argue all the time. And actually, later on, we're going to see we shouldn't argue. But should we never have a disagreement? I'm not sure that's what they're saying. I think actually Paul answers our question. Paul answers what it means to be of one mind. And what is that? Well, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, there's that mind word again, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So we look at these two verses and then, it, then he goes on in verse 5 and says, Let this mind be in you also in Christ Jesus. He's using the same idea of a mind, that we're of one mind, we're of one attitude. In other words, that we are one-minded in the sense that we will be selfless and humble. This is what our mindset should be. We should be looking out for the good of others, not for ourselves. That's what unity looks like. Unity looks like me caring more for you than I care for myself, you caring more for me than, I, than you care for yourself, Two people, two other people looking at each other and caring about each other more than we care about ourselves. And I would say this sadly does not happen enough in our churches because we are individualistic and we are human and we want to look out for ourselves. But what does Paul say? What does God tell us here in Philippians? He says, be of one mind. And what that one mind is, is that you care about others more than yourself. That you are humble. That you put yourself lower than other people. And you say, my interests, my needs, my wants, my desires are not as important as yours. That's unity. That's what unity looks like. If you want to know how to live out the unity that we already possess, it's to put others first. That's love, right? That's service. That is humility. It's putting others first. We need to be selfless and humble. And if we can do those things, that is being of the same mind. So if I'm selfless and you're selfless and you're selfless and you're selfless and we're all selfless together, we're going to be looking out for each other. So you know what that means? I don't have to look out for myself. You see, we think that we're so contained in and of ourselves, but yet we need each other so desperately. So let's look out for the needs of each other. That is what unity looks like. And to further this point, Paul goes on and talks about Christ's example, right? He says, Christ is the one that showed us what it means to be unified, that shows us what it means to, to be humble. He came to earth as a man. God himself came to earth, gave up his glory in heaven for a time as he came down to heaven, or came down to earth so that he could die on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. The gospel. Jesus 
gave up everything to come down and give up everything for us so that we could be one with him. Remember, we've already talked about that. So that we could be united with him. He was willing to do that and put himself below us, really, in a sense. That he, he came, he made himself an appearance of a man to die for us so that if we accept the sacrifice that he made in our behalf and we repent of our sins and we commit to follow him, that that death on the cross that he gave, that humility that he showed can save us because he cared more about us than he did about himself. The ultimate example to live by is Jesus. And verse 14, so then what is the, so unity looks like caring about others first. So what is the opposite of unity? What does disunity look like really? Well, he tells us that in verse 14. Because in verse 14, he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. And then tells us why. We need to stop complaining and fighting. That's pretty simple, right? But yet it's not so simple. It's simple to say, but it's not simple to do, right? We must stop complaining and fighting with one another. That is the opposite of unity. If I'm truly putting your needs ahead of mine, and you're truly putting my needs in front of you, there should never be a time where we are bickering or fighting with one another. There should never be a time where we are talking behind each other's backs. There should never be a time that we are running away from each other and not caring about one another and complaining about one another and saying, I can't believe they did this. I can't believe they did that. I don't like them that much because of this. All of that does nothing but take away from the unity that we already have. And so we need to stop complaining and fighting. And Paul says, why? Well, it's the opposite of our calling. Our testimony to the world, our calling that is to glorify God by serving others so that others will see that, is darkened when we are, when we are overtaken by complaining and fighting. So stop complaining about each other. Stop fighting with each other. We need to do that. That is what we're called to do. Now, I know I've only got a few minutes left. I'm going to try to close up fairly quickly. But I want a few things to come across here. We've taken some time to look at our unity. That is because of our position, we have a purpose and we have a practice. We need to practice and do what we've been asked to do. So what does that look like? So let's take some practical implications. Practical implications that you can walk away with today knowing that we are unified. First one is simple. Our unity should lead to humble love. The question you need to ask yourself, and I'm just going to leave it here, do you put your needs, desires, and well-being secondary to other people's? If the answer to that is no, then you need to ask whether you are truly living in the unity that has already been afforded to us through Christ. Are you humbly loving one another? Our next one is our unity should lead to humble service. Not only do we love one another and put other people first, but are you serving for the good of others? Now there's an important thing I want to differentiate here. First of all, the question is, are you serving? Or are you just somebody that comes in on Sunday morning, you know, you, you sing your songs, you listen to the sermon, you say hi to a few people and you leave. You never really contribute, never really serve one another. I want to tell you something right now. You're missing out, okay? It's, it, I'm not looking because I need more people to do stuff. You're missing out by not serving. And we're missing out because we're not able to serve mutually. Okay, so if you're not serving, start serving. That is how unity is lived out. You are united with us. I am united with you if you know Christ and I know Christ, so therefore we need to serve one another. So start serving. But I also want to make it very clear that just doing something isn't what God is looking for. It's also the motive. The idea of humble service. You see, some people serve, but it's to give themselves a name. That happens. It's true. Maybe it's somebody, you know, you know, somebody, singers are a great example, like a, you know, a, a popular Christian singer or whatever. You've got to always question, you know, and then you see them doing things on the stage that's all about, oh, this is all about me, all about me, even though they're singing godly songs. Okay, but that can happen anywhere. Even in church, as we serve each other, it can be used as a way to say, well, look at me, I'm serving. Look at me, I serve better than you. Look at me, I'm serving better than all of you. That's not what it's about. Serving is about humility. Because I love you enough, because I know that you are more important than me, I'm going to serve you. Finally, our unity should lead to humble living in general. This is a general statement, but it's true. Are you living out the unity we already have in Christ, or are you working against it? Are you disputing? Are you complaining? Are you fighting? Are you not living in the unity that God has already given us? Because if you're not, you need to start. You need to realize, I am one with you. You are one with me. We are one with one another, so let's live like it. Let's live our lives like we care about others, and we are one with one another instead of just on our own. Rabbit trail real quick before I close. 
Very simple truth right here, okay? We can't live out our unity unless we are with each other. This makes sense, right? You can't live out your unity. You can't serve one another if you're not with each other. So this is my time I get to say, come to church. But I'm not just saying it because it's a legalistic thing. If you're not here, you're not a good Christian. What I'm saying is this. We are united. And when you're not here, I am missing a part of me. See, it's not just about you. Oh, I'd rather do this today, so I'm not going to come to church. It's not just about you. It's about us. When you miss, when you skip, when I skip, if I were to skip, whatever it might be, if we are not trying to be with one another and we are finding ways to get out of being with one another, we are, are leaving our unity. We are one and we're leaving a, a, a piece of us is, is not here, if, if that makes any sense. And it's not just about Sunday mornings. I would love to see more people involved in ABF, more people in home groups, more people serving at our kids' ministries, all those things. But like I said, not out of legalism, not out of saying that if you're not here serving, you're a bad person or you're not a good Christian. That's not what it's about. What it's about is we are one and I want you here with me because we are one with one another. And I hope that same idea comes across with you. As you look at each other and you say, I am one with you and you are one with me, we are together in this, that we will... When we have that opportunity maybe to do something other than being together, when we have an opportunity to be together, that it would actually hurt not to be together. Because, hey, if I cut off my arm and threw it across the, the sanctuary, I'd be hurting, okay? And the same thing is true. If the, a part of the body of Christ is not with us, the whole body suffers. So I would implore you and ask you, as Hebrews tells us, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, because that's how we build each other up. If I would implore you and ask you and actually beg you in one sense, please, for our sake, for your sake, come to church, be with the people of God, live out the unity that you've already been given. So our conclusion today is this. We don't achieve unity. Okay, I want this to be clear. We don't achieve unity. We don't do things to make unity happen. We actualize it in loving one another, serving one another, and living with one another. We actualize it, something that's already there, but we make it seen. By when we do these things, when we are unified by loving one another, serving one another, and living with one another. I want to leave you with this one question. Imagine the body, what the body of Christ could do if we were to live in the unity that we already possess. If we were to li- truly live in the unity that we already possess, what would that look like? Well, I would say right now, it would change our community, it would change our church, it would change our country, it would change our world. As people see us unified for one purpose, one position, and one practice together. So please, I ask, understand your unity. Live in our unity because we need one another. There's no question. We need one another. As we are in Christ, we are in one another. To, to close out with the illustration I've been following through. A team that doesn't understand that they're playing for the team, but thinks they're playing for themselves, is missing out. Uh, watched a movie last night, real quick. Movie Miracle, if you've ever seen it, it's a great movie. But the whole point of that movie, 1980s hockey team, they realized one thing. That the name on the front of their jersey meant more than what was on the back. And that even though they were all different, they were one team. And what did they do? Well, they defeated the Soviet Union. It goes down in history. It's a great feat. But that's, just a, that's just a tiny little bit of what unity can do. What unity looks like. But let's draw that out in our Christian lives and let's be united so we can change our world. Join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this morning.